Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me is our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, and my fellow graduate assistant, Jacob Michael. Okay, so today we thought it'd be interesting to talk about families, and I think the main question is, you know, our families, the family unit, which has been kind of beat up over time, are, are families really relevant in today's society? Are they as important as they used to be? And um, so, and, and then that might lead into, you know, should we have institutions in place that foster family relationships or is that maybe kind of a waste of time and we should just kind of let, let things be and focus more on the individuals. So uh, Jacob's been working on a little paper with some family connections to it. And so uh, Jacob thought we'd let you lead off here and see what you're, what you're thinking. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I thought was really interesting was, the way that Friedrich Hayek saw um, families and how they fit into society, both in the small communities and larger as a whole. He said that we simultaneously live in two worlds, uh, the small world being in these groups or small firms that exist at the same time. And then we live in a larger market, which he calls the great society. And in these small groups, there's very localized knowledge and decentralized decision-making. Um, whereas in the larger markets, it allows you to be unanimous. And so I just thought that his kind of discussion of how he uses the families to bridge into the larger society, because that's where a lot of the, the, the learning's done to how you, you interact with others and how you are a member of society is, is from the family. Yeah, and I think uh, Edmund Burke talked about the little platoons we belong to. I can't remember the exact mm -hmm. wording, but he was also talking about our little spheres of influence that we, that we relate to. Well, I think people are innately pretty tribalistic. Uh, I think historically, that, I mean, it's in our nature to kind of be in a tight-knit community or group. Yeah, and so I think the socialist mentality, to, to me, I, I don't know if this is fair to, to go much further, but I always thought that people maybe wrongfully think we can run society like a big family mm -hmm. that the same type of sentiments that we have for people close to us. Why can't we treat everybody that way if we're all Americans? And so we have this, you know, altruistic nature of wanting to help somebody out and maybe why can't we use the government to figure out who's in need and we'll have that, same level of empathy to a larger group as to a smaller group. Uh, and, and I think that's what Hayek might push back on. Yeah. And even in popular fiction, I read Brave New World over the summer and that's kind of how it was too. Like everyone thought it was so weird when one of the characters like wanted to have a relationship with somebody because it was, that's how they saw it was everyone belonged to everybody, mm. you know, and, and what's Brave New World? Um, a little background it's, on that. It's a Sorry, Jason's like, what? Did you read it, Jason? Do you know what it is? I think most people have to read it in high school, but oh, uh, we read Fahrenheit for high school thing. It's kind of like 1984. It's just like a okay, yeah, yeah. It's by uh, all, all, is it Aldous Huxley? Something Huxley. 
So what is it, a socialist thing that yeah, actually works out? And no, people, it's, it's dystopia. That's what we're feeding our high school kids? <laughs> it's kind of, I guess it's like uh, the same type of warning as 1984, right? Like, from the from the outside looking in, it might look good, like everyone's happy, but once you're kind of in that system, you realize you have no actual power, and oh. the government controls everything, right? Okay. And I mean, so, and they're like, one of the things that they use to kind of control people is when everyone gets acting up, they just take these soma rations, which is just an opioid. And so it's like everyone belongs to everyone and like sexual in- intercourse is pretty prominent. And it's oh. just like everyone's just... That's why the high school kids like Yeah. <laughs> but so it, it's just kind of like the government trying to redefine everyone as being one communal system. Okay. So it is normalizing human beings across the board that mm-hmm. were all equal or somehow trying to but of course there's an underground elite in the in the book okay who who kind of are pulling strings from the background which is somewhat a predictable thing right Mm. that uh public choice economics would predict anyway is that there when we have these systems of sharing or otherwise if we if we have the innate if if we're i guess a little more on the adam smith side and we think that even once we design this, uh, some sort of social system, socialist system or communist system that somehow our self-interest disappears and we become mm-hmm. little angels, that's unrealistic. Yeah. So if, if you maintain the assumption of self-interest, that, that that's going to be the, the driving force, then we totally predict and expect that there'd be small factions of people that eventually right. come to power and that they're going to have perhaps some sort of unequal share in something um, in society. And so I think that's a theme that would be predictable there. Um, Whereas the thoughts of those systems might be that people are malleable and can change. Right. And so um, if, if you don't have the thought that people are going to do bad things or that they're, that they can be converted into some, altruistic motive where they're going to care for a stranger as much as they are somebody close to them. If they're, they're not going to pursue their self-interest, we just need to work on them. We need to educate them. We need to teach them how society can be a much better place. If we, you know, if we keep working on them, we can design systems that do it. I mean, that's, that's ultimately fighting against what Adam Smith, I think would argue that's fighting against human nature. Well, and it's interesting too, the, the kind of the verb you use about trying to like teach people how to do these things. Right. Because in brave new world, um, the, the kids are given to the government who kind of do all the instruction for them too. So it's also a question of like, who, who creates citizens. Right. So like, I think Hayek and Mises would say that that that's a role that's passed on to the family because who, who has a higher incentive to teach your kid how to be a good citizen rather than the parents. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in like, some of these socialist countries, it's more of like the government's role to create good citizens because of what a model citizen would look like for them, right? Right, right. And even within a socialist system, there's, there's always going to be some part of the public that's going to say, well, that's a dumb idea. Like, we, we shouldn't do that, but that's where they live and that's what they're subjected to. And maybe it's majority rule mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And so then we have them being a part of this idea that well maybe we can be retrained or retooled i mean this is going on in china right now the the retraining camps of some sort where if you uh 
did something bad. I mean, you know, in some cases we're not, we're talking beyond like jail, right? You broke the law. That means you go to jail and maybe you mm-hmm. get some counseling and you can get rehabilitated. But in China, they're talking about these social credits, which I've, heard, oh, I've talked uh-huh. to some different Chinese colleagues over time. And some of them either a will deny that they exist. Like, Whoa, what are you talking about? Cause that's like somewhat secret or maybe they don't know about it. Um, if you're from different regions, it might not be as big of a deal, but mm-hmm. with today's cameras and monitoring your social media and, and your communications and stuff, they're giving out kind of social credits. That's scary. And so your, your life is earning a game of, of a merit-based system of whether you are following, falling in line with the way we want you to be. And then, of course, we just have a scoring system so that you know if you've got some weaknesses, then you have to work on this a little bit more. But ultimately, if you were um, found guilty of a more serious offense as determined by some, you know, yeah, person in control, yeah. yeah, some person in control, then you can be sent to these um, basically work camps to kind of retrain you on being a good little citizen. That's scary. And, and I, I might be reading... You know, I, I don't know from all the sources, but I've, I've learned enough that it is real. They do have, they are working on some sort of social credit system or it does exist in some places because I've talked to, um, actually it was at the Association of Christian Economists. I talked to a Christian Chinese economist who was there and she acknowledged that, yes, that that is, that is going on in different places. Because I asked her like, well, why does one person not, know it or do the other and she said well china's big right it's one of the biggest yeah. populations and so you might not know from place to place it's an interesting way to try to incentivize good behavior i guess yeah yeah and it's um kind of flies in the face of what uh, the united states mostly is built on on individual freedom and uh but that kind of circles us back to are we too individualist now or do we have enough family well, I think connections? I've, the or? push for individualism has been something that's kind of broken down the role of the family, but I think there's a, a place for the individual in the family, yeah. right? Because I mean, that's all a family is, is a, is a group of individuals that, I, I mean, this might be fair to say, I would say like a family is a group of individuals that don't have any type of economic calculus between them, right? Because I mean, if your kid's sick, you're going to take him to the hospital you don't think about what he brings as far as family <laughs> GDP, right? <laughs> right, right. So I just think that it's just a closer-knit group. Of the, there's, it's definitely individualistic still. Yeah. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the number. I think I've brought it up in previous podcasts about the number of stable relationships that you can actually have. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Not something number... I've done it before, but uh, I know what you're it's talking like about. 100, I think it's 126 or 142 is like, and these are just relationships where you keep tabs on somebody mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, you start talking about the number of relationships where you can know the person pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like you and I, Jacob, know each other pretty well from mm-hmm. you being my student and working mm-hmm. together for now for the last couple of years. But, but even so, so our level of knowledge between each other you know, there's not a lot of other people who you have contacts with that you know that deeply. And of course, yeah, you definitely. know your mom and your brother a lot more. Mm-hmm. So you start thinking about how many people can I really have knowledge about in such a way that if they were needing help, I know I should just help them 
or maybe not like, I should say, give them money or not give them money. Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> let's say you've got a, a friend that's a, got an alcohol problem or some other maybe mental instability and giving them money will just actually make the problem worse. Right. Right. Whereas in other situations, you know, the person well enough, like, Oh, they just need the money. I mean, they've got their stuff together. They had some unfortunate circumstances and here's the money. Right. So like how many people do we actually have that level of knowledge with? I think it's pretty small. And that's kind of what Hyatt talks about is we only have like a small, yeah, exactly. A small faction of these intimate relationships. And that's those relationships will determine the knowledge that we have to make decisions. And so that's why families are so important because these, those are how we bridge that gap between the small factions and the larger community, because all the larger community or the great society is, is groups of these people acting in that way. Yeah. If you were wondering, the number is 150. 150. Okay. I think I've heard like maybe 147. They might've been rounding. And what's the name of the number? Uh, Dunbar's number. Oh my gosh. I even wrote a little paper on it before, but Dunbar's number. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting uh, stuff. So, well, this looks like a good spot to draw to a break for now. And then I think what we'll come up with on the second half is to see uh, what, you know, what the probability of Bernie Sanders having a uh, democratic socialist nation that we can actually be successful and making everybody's lives super happy. We'll see you in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at or call us at 785 the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. Okay, we're back. Well, I left you with that teaser on Bernie Sanders, and it's confession time. I lied. We're not really going to get into Bernie Sanders or anything too socialist here, other than he came to mind when I was saying that I think the sentiment is to try to create a society where we have a similar level of care and concern that we do for our close family members, and whether that's possible or not. So I will let you guys feel the burn uh, later, maybe on some future episodes, or you can catch the debates and stuff, and we'll see how how's that how that shakes out for this fall. So I thought we'd get back to talking about the family and uh, maybe some uh, areas in the Bible that points us to these relationships and and their importance um, or not in that case. So 
Um, Jason, you, you drummed up something. Again, we're not, we're not Bible beaters on this show, so we all just kind of Google it. I, I know a little bit more just because I've been on this earth longer than my two uh, graduate assistants here for the most part. But uh, so uh, forgive us for maybe not being theologically sound, and we encourage you to write in or email me if you hear something that offends you or that isn't quite right. Um, maybe we can talk about it on a future episode. But otherwise, we just like to have fun with a little faith and economics here. So, Jason, what did you uh, drum up? I've got one here. Uh, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk alongside the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And that's Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. Okay, so we got the impress them on your children. That, that was uh, a command to kind of keep passing that along to uh, people within your family unit. Yeah, okay. I think um, you see that a lot. I mean, economics isn't just crunching numbers, right? We also have behavioral economics, our, our biases, our decision-making, all of that we get from our families, and I think that's kind of reflected in that. Yeah, verse. absolutely. Okay, and you had another one? Uh, yeah. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's Acts 16, verse 31. Now that one's interesting to me. So I guess I usually think of the Christian faith as something between you as an individual, and speaking of individualism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that That it's between you and Jesus Christ. You either... Accept him as your savior, and he will stand in the way of all of your nasty stuff, or even not so nasty stuff, but all your sins. You know, you can't work your way out of that, at least in the uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran faith. Um, You've just got grace, which is God's gift to you. And so, but that's really an individualist thing. So I've heard this, this one before. I mean, it's almost seems to be indicating that if I have faith in Christ, if I'm good with Christ, like Christ and I are like eye to eye, and we're like, okay, we got this figured out. Um, you know that I'm pathetic, and you've got me covered. Somehow that might be transferable, like as a as a good or a, a benefit. Like, oh, but wait, there's more. It's actually uh, the whole family's included in this deal. So all I have to do is is have my faith be strong enough. And then it'll also include you and your household. Read that Read that quote back again. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You and your household. You know, I, I don't know if there's other parts in that, but it, it, at a minimum, I think it's a strong statement about the household and about the family that, you know, maybe I, I think one could argue that, hey, if you're a believer and you love the people in your household, then you're going to do all that you can to get them to think the way you think, right? And that you can share the benefits. So I think at a minimum it's saying that, that likely in probability standpoint, that there's higher odds that the people in your household are actually going to to follow suit with that too. But at a maximum, you know, maybe you're getting them a free ticket. I don't know. I think this is one of those mysteries of, of God. Uh, I think there's other places in there that, that might steer us a different direction. So, But that's kind of encouraging to think that the family would be that important that within your household you might have some benefits, uh, positive externality, <laughs> if you will, between your uh, – and I hate to think of – 
my relationship with Christ is a transaction <laughs> uh, because it's really not. There's like, there's nothing I have to give is, is, the, is the point. Like it doesn't matter how many uh, prayers I say or how many old people I help cross the street. There's actually nothing, absolutely zero I could do to earn my way in. So it's like, I'm giving God nothing. He's giving me everything. Huh, it's pretty heavy when you put it that way. It is pretty heavy. No, it really is. And so that's why I, I hesitate to even, you know, hint at it being a transaction because that's what I truly believe. Um, it, it's more of, uh, I think I could somehow conjure uh, an economist lingo. It, it's a corner solution. Like it, it doesn't actually have uh, an equilibrium of you give me this and I give you this. It, it, that, that's not the way it works. But nonetheless, in terms of a positive externality, are, is there an external benefit that somebody else might get that is unrelated to my deal, if you will, I have with God? And, but really, it's a one-way deal, as I was just saying. But my relationship with Christ, could that possibly have an external benefit to somebody else? I don't know. That's, that part of Scripture seems to hint at that. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense when you put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I would, I think it's better to make sure you are correct with Christ, and I, I'm not sure there's enough uh, there that says, oh, I got the golden ticket, so you get to come along too." Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure, not sure that's all, all there or not. So, um, the the other one that I thought was family related, that's kind of a classic, is the parable of the lost son. So in um, Luke 15, I did a quick little uh, Google of it. You've got a, um, a dad that's, I don't know if he was getting older or not, but he decided to kind of split up his wealth early before he died and um, gave, gave each son uh, a decent sum of money. One son takes off and goes out to Las Vegas. They didn't exactly say that in scripture, but, you know, he goes out and parties and uh, there is mention of of prostitutes and and uh, living large, and um, he ends up being penniless and poor. And the the good son, so to speak, um, stayed at home was was there for the dad, helped with the family business, you know, and was was there. Well, all of a sudden one day, the uh, loser son comes back, and uh, the father says, you know, get get my uh, uh, best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So the older son started to hear word of this and uh, got a little angry with him and um, said, well, you know, what's the deal? Um, How come uh, he, he comes back after being so bad and now I, I've been slaving, I'm starting to get into the quote here, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat um, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when your son comes home who squandered your property with prostitutes, uh, you killed the fattened calf for him. Uh, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So that's a pretty powerful statement of family. I think it ties into the grace of God that I was mentioning earlier that we don't have this meritocracy 
in Christianity that you have to earn your way, but rather some things can be uh, truly gifts. And so I don't know if you guys have any stories yeah, of family or that, no, actually, I mean, that, that kind of hit home about getting like super personal. Um, right after high school, I moved out kind of went on my own, uh, did the whole like, Oh, well, I'm moving away thing. And then <laughs> spent a couple years like, uh, away from pretty far from my uh, Topeka cause I went out to Heston, Kansas to play soccer and, um, didn't really do, do too great. And then I moved back and, um, kind of cleaned up my act and me and my family got closer again. I honestly don't think I would have finished Ottawa without my mom's help and stuff. Like I just couldn't, I just wasn't mature enough at the time to have made the, some of the decisions. And I mean, without leaning on my family, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. Yeah. So you got some of those unearned yeah. gifts. Oh, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like it was so exactly far. like that. Like I came back and yeah. you know, they accepted me back with open arms kind of, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Unfortunately, not everybody gets to experience that. Sometimes they have. Unfortunately, some people aren't as dumb as me. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just thinking, you know, some people have loser parents, right. and so they don't get that same feeling back. But hopefully, at some point in their life, they see that type of generosity and that type of gift, which mm -hmm. might not come directly from a blood relative, per se. So. Yeah, that's, that's true. So that's kind of the part that I struggle with sometimes on is the family unit because I think people get hung up a little bit on, you know, mom, dad, married, stay together, um, white picket fence, you know, maybe not the white picket fence, but anyway. The, the idea of family has definitely changed. An intact family and um, I don't know, I, I think there's scripture and otherwise that, that might say that that family is a little bit, I hate to use the word malleable, <laughs> but, but, it, but it, 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 it can be different things to different people. And so um, a father figure or a mother figure, so to speak, um, might even be another gender or a friend or, or a mm. grandpa or grandma or whatever, um, so that, that family unit can morph a little bit. But um, is it good from a government perspective to maintain some sort of family unit is important. And, yeah. um, and I don't know, that's, you know, then we get, you can get into gay marriage. So we should have marriage among people of whatever sex or however they identify themselves, but at least they've made some sort of bond that yeah, there's the, definitely some type of support system there. That, the, that the government has recognized, which really boils down to tax benefits usually mm -hmm. of some sort or, something dumb like that. I mean, let's face it. I, th I think we really, these people are going in a, in an individualistic society, they're going to start to form different relationships. So I think it's yet to be figured out or known in a, in a sinful world. If you know what, what direction is, is the best, if it's uh, woman by birth or with genitals of this or that, and this is the way it goes. And that's what we need to believe. I gotta be honest, I, I don't know for sure that what that exactly looks like from a government standpoint. From the biblical standpoint, I think it's more clear. Mm. But how society should be organized from a policy standpoint, I think that can be disputed and I could be um, swayed that um, maybe the government it's has no, no business yeah. in what we call marriage in, in Christianity maybe can be fine or different from what we call marriage in society.
Um, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of it's waffle kind of back and forth having, yeah. uh, on that. Uh, certainly separation of church and state means we don't want the church being the state. And so uh, I think it's easy to see when we especially look across the pond at a maybe completely different religion like Islam, uh, we wouldn't want that mm-hmm. church being the rule of law where we live. If we lived under uh, Sharia, Sharia law, Sharia, I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but that that's where you start to get into some interesting territory. So. Right. All right. Any last comments? Looks like a good place to wrap. So like to thank you all for listening to the Gorton Institute's production here, our podcast, Faith and Economics. On behalf of everyone here, we enjoy that you're spending some time. And if you feel so inclined, like what you're hearing, then uh, jump on your device and give us a five-star ratings, which helps us climb the ranks. Um, and other than that, uh, we will catch you next week. Be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.